Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here together in a time of worship. I want to invite you to join me in 1 Kings. We are returning this morning to 1 Kings, and we'll look to chapter 17, verses 7 through 16. Um, this is, as you may or may not recall, part of the portion of 1 Kings that is dealing with Elijah and, um, and, and the Lord's confronting King Ahab and, and the, um, the Baal worship that has taken over the nation. And yet in the midst of that passage or in the midst of that larger section, we have perhaps a bit of a breather, uh, a, a parenthesis of sorts, as we see uh, the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. In that parentheses, it's a, it's a reminder that God is at work in the lives of individuals in beautiful, sometimes surprising ways. That's where we go today. Now, kids, let me have your attention, okay? Here's what I want you to listen for today. All right? You're going to hear about how our Heavenly Father keeps His children close to Him. Okay, so I want you to listen for the way in which you hear our Heavenly Father keeping His children close. Um, And what is the way in which He does that by providing? And how do you see His love in that providing? Okay? Now, as we prepare to look to God's Word, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we, we do celebrate your loving, tender, sovereign provision, and we celebrate it now in terms of your provision of your word, asking that you would bless us with, with the presence of your spirit, that your voice would be the loudest voice we hear, that I, the preacher, would, would fade into the background, that I might decrease that you would increase in our hearts and in our minds. Do this, we pray, as you point us to Jesus Christ, our Savior. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, Arise. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. What if God were to ask everything of you? What if he were to ask you to give him everything? How would you respond? At the mere question, do you feel a fear welling up within you? Maybe you want to know what mean by everything what would you would you want to know <laughs> well i don't know what we mean by everything right now the question is is hypothetical maybe many of us right now or at the prospect of the question are are making a mental checklist of the of the questions that we would want to ask the the lord first what would you want to know before giving everything to the Lord. Would it all have to make sense first? Would you need to know the end before the beginning? Would you need to know how and when would the Lord meet you with His provision? On some level, the Lord does ask us to give Him everything. He asks everything of us. Because you see, Jesus is is Savior... Jesus is also Lord, and there can only be one king on the throne. And so praise the Lord that Jesus Christ, our king, is a good king. It's hypothetical that I've asked you this morning. It's actually played out before us in the text today. You hopefully see the outline before you in your bulletin. Um, We're going to do things a bit differently today as we explore that outline because the first two points that you have before you, the Lord's gracious plan and the Lord's gracious provision, those two points are so inextricably linked that they cannot be separated. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage verse by verse. And there as we walk through verse by verse, we're going to see His gracious plan and provision. First thing you may have noticed if you were reading along in your Bible is that verse 7, where we started, it appears to be midway through the previous section. And yet, verse 7 serves as a bit of a transition point from what had been taking place prior. You see, earlier in the last, the last time we were in 1 Kings, we, we read in verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now, the word that came to him there in verse 2 was, was a word to depart Israel. The Lord was sending Elijah to the brook Cherith where he would receive 
water and, and where the Lord had commanded the ravens to, to feed Elijah. We, we saw that provision that came through God's word in, in verse 2, but we also said the last time we were there that in a sense this word was a word of judgment on Israel because Ahab and the people under his reign had, had abandoned God's word and gone after Baal. The judgment was a removal of the word. That was last, but notice that the Lord sent Elijah to Cherith to receive water and some food, but now, now we see the Lord gives Elijah instructions again. Notice that he gives Elijah the instructions when those instructions are needed, and not before. You know, <clears throat> brooks, streams, rivers, they don't just dry up all at once. It's not like you turn the, the faucet off in your, in your kitchen and the water stops at once. Occasionally, the cahaba will dry up, but you can see it in advance, because streams, they... They slow down the flow over time before they stop. I can imagine Elijah watching this flow start to dwindle. And I can imagine him wondering, okay, Lord, what's next? You've told me this was my water source. That water source is going away. Can you feel the anxiety building up because he has nowhere else to go? We, we lose sight of that when all we have to do is go to the refrigerator or the faucet and get another drink. But you see, the Word of God did not come until after the flow had stopped completely. There was no advance or notice to relieve his growing anxiety, and yet the Lord had provided all along, just as He said He would. And when the brook dried up, when the need arose. We come to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. The word of God is fundamental to the provision in this passage. The word of God is fundamental to the provision in our lives. And for Elijah, the word of God did not come until it was needed, but most certainly it came in that moment. Hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to it. But what was the word that the Lord gave? Well, verse 8 tells us what that word was. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. You know, it's tempting to rush past this verse, almost to see it as a, as a transition point. But, but have you thought to yourself, did you ask the question, why that location? Why Zarephath? It's a tiny little village in Sidon. I know it's been six weeks since we were here after having a, a brief interlude to consider our vision, but do you remember when we were last in 1 Kings? Do you remember the broader context, what's going on? There is a battle raging in Israel, and it's a battle with Baal worship. Spiritual battle. Yes, because for many in Israel, they just simply 
capitulated. They gave themselves over to this Baal worship. And, and one of the ways that we saw it in Ahab's life was by virtue of his marriage to Jezebel. Do you remember who her father was? Jezebel's father was Ethbaal. His name, Ethbaal, meant literally with Baal. Do you remember that Ethbaal was the king of Sidon? The Lord is sending Elijah to the hotbed of Baal worship. If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking to myself, are you sure, Lord? Why? Do you remember the message you've given me? Why are you sending me there? Surely there's someone in my homeland that can care for me. Why are you sending me to enemy territory? And of all ways in which you're going to provide, why a lowly poor widow? Isn't there some rich guy over in Israel? Maybe it's just me. Maybe those are the thoughts that would be or perhaps are going through my mind. But when you put all of this together, maybe we begin to see that there's more going on here than simply the Lord feeding Elijah. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus confirms that there were indeed other options for Elijah. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is looking back on this account and he says that there were many widows in Israel, but the Lord sent Elijah to the widow in Zarephath. We begin to see that perhaps the widow in Zarephath is in primary view in this text, that maybe there is more going on than simply a dinner reservation. Maybe what's happening is the Lord is sending Elijah on mission. It's tempting at quick glance to think of this account as, as one more story of the Lord's miraculous provision for Elijah. And in thinking that, to, to look to this text as an example of how the Lord will miraculously provide for me. But if the widow is in focus and not Elijah, it challenges my me-focused perception of the text. It challenges my me-focused perception of, of all of Scripture. It challenges my me-focused perception of what God is doing. Elijah is the Lord's missionary sent to the widow. If you think about that. There's a whole nation of, of Israel needing a prophet right now, but the Lord is sending Elijah to, to a lone Gentile in the heart of Baal country. It feels reckless. It feels extravagant. Jesus then Luke 4 acknowledges that there were many widows in Israel, but Elijah is sent to the Gentile in the middle of Baal country. And so do you see it? Do you see it in the text before us? The Lord our God pursues sinners. Praise the Lord. The Lord our God pursues sinners like the widow of Zarephath and like us. He sends His people. 
He sends his people to reach them. And that means that this plan doesn't revolve around Elijah. The world doesn't revolve around Elijah. The world doesn't revolve around us. More than a a cool story about the Lord feeding Elijah, this is a story about God's plan, his gracious, sovereign plan for the growth of his kingdom. And it works out in individual interactions of sovereign grace. God sent Elijah to the widow that she might receive saving grace. Just as he has sent individuals to us, if we are in Christ, we have received this saving grace because the Lord sovereignly sent an individual to us. He does the same in sending us out. The story continues in Zarephath. Elijah shows up there at the gates of the city, and he, just as the Lord has said, sees a widow. And he starts out with a request for water in verse 10. Echoes of another interaction with another woman in John chapter 4. As Jesus later would again go to enemy territory in Samaria. He encountered the, the woman at the well and asked her for a drink of water. As you read scripture, listen for the clues. It is one cohesive whole, one story of redemption here in this interaction between Elijah and the widow. The the echoes, the foreshadowing of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Elijah may not yet know what is going on, but he is on mission. And, And the whole interaction starts with a request for water, but like Jesus, this conversation will quickly escalate. In verse 11, he takes it one step further and says, Oh, hey, excuse me, widow, while you're going to get that water, would you also bring me a morsel of bread? But in the next verse, in verse 12, we see just exactly what Elijah is asking. He may not have known it, but the Lord most certainly did. The widow responds with clarity, saying, perhaps even yelling, you're asking me to give everything I have. Remember, the Lord has sent Elijah for this purpose. And yes, make no mistake, the Lord is asking the widow to give everything that she has. We hear, want to say, Lord, you wouldn't really ask that, would you? As particularly with the gift of mercy, you're thinking, no, this can't be. We, the Lord wouldn't do that. The Lord wouldn't take her last bit of flour. Sure, it's easy for us to look back on this account after the fact. For us to look back, seeing just how the Lord did provide. And know that, oh, it's going to be okay. 
But when we put ourselves in the moment, in the moment when the request was made and and the widow realizes that I have only enough left for my last meal, you're even asking that? Yes, the provision came, but first the Lord asked everything. And again, I'm asserting that the widow is in primary view here. So Elijah is sent on a mission for her heart. And part of this mission for her heart is this very request. This request flies in the face of of the easy believism that dominates our modern view of evangelism. King Jesus reigns, and King Jesus asks everything. But, King Jesus is a compassionate king. You see, in verse 13, Elijah lovingly responds, Do not fear. Can we just recognize the authenticity of this? Do you feel the fear for this widow? Those with the gift of mercy certainly feel the fear for this widow. She's staring down death, and the Lord is asking for her last meal. This is a scary situation, and the Bible doesn't hide from that. The Bible doesn't hide from the difficulty of this whole thing. Do you know this fear? Do you know the fear of responding to the Lord when you do not know what is coming next? Do you know the fear of responding to His call on your life when you can't map out a path? The Bible, again, acknowledges it all, but the Bible does not leave us there. The, Elijah is speaking the word of the Lord to the widow and to us. When he says, do not fear, he's calling her and us to obey, even though it is scary, and he is inviting her and us to take comfort for the Lord, the God of Israel, will be with us, and he will, in his time, provide. And in verse 15, she did just that. She did obey. But again, I want to draw something out from her obedience. Earlier in verse 9, we we read that the Lord said He commanded the widow to feed Elijah. But do you hear in this interaction an indication that the, the widow has received some direct revelation from the Lord telling her, you must feed Elijah? I don't read that. I don't read that word. I don't read that in her response or this interaction. No, it seems as if something different is going on, and perhaps it might be more appropriate to understand this command in verse 9 as the Lord's ordaining what will come to pass. 
The Lord is drawing out her obedience. An obedience that he has already ordained. Do you hear and see in that the intersection of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, or perhaps rather the, the widow's responsibility? There's a beautiful authenticity to it. It's, it's real. The Lord is drawing out the obedience that He has commanded. And through that obedience that He is drawing out, the Lord is drawing her heart to Himself. And then finally, in verse 16, we see the fulfillment of the Lord's provision. He continued to provide. And again, a couple of points in that provision. First, it is a long-term provision. We read in verse 15 that she and he and her household ate for many days. Chapter 18, verse 1 tells us that on some level, this journey that Elijah had been on from away from Israel to the brook Cherith, then to Zarephath, and then back to Israel it lasted at least two years. Now, I don't know how long he was at the Brook Cherith. I don't know how long he was at Zarephath, but this was not a weekend stay at an Airbnb. This was a long-term provision. But second, in addition to the length of the provision, let's consider the manner of the provision. The Lord didn't build an extra barn out in the back and then go make a Costco run so that he could provide some, some pallets of flour and oil and store it out there. That's what we would like, right? We, we wouldn't have to worry about where the meal would come from tomorrow. We would be able to see it with clarity. We want to know where the next meal is coming from, but that's not what happened. The flour and the oil, they were just always there. The widow had to use up the entire supply every day, trusting the Lord to provide. It's an exercise in trusting the provider rather than the provision. Both the widow, and for Elijah. That trusting was a daily journey of dependence that required them both to give everything they had that they might have the joy of receiving everything they needed. We tend to define abundance differently. We want storehouses filled so that we don't have to wonder we want an abundance in material goods and relational connection and clarity about the future. But here's the problem with that definition of abundance. Our hearts grow satisfied in the provision rather than in the provider. With ample goods stored up for many days, something in us grows numb to the Lord. But our good Father, 
our Heavenly Father. He loves us and knows what we need most. And what we need most is relationship with Him. Imagine for a moment there is a child who at birth is is given a $1 billion trust fund. And yet that child has has no parents to to love and and care for him. That child will have an endless supply of toys. That child will experience a life with no material need. And yet, it will be an existence that is void of relationship. And there's a second child who grows up with no excess and yet is amply provided for, but is also deeply and intimately connected to his parents. There's no trust fund for this second child, but there is a hand to hold in the dailiness of life. For the first child, there's, there's ease but no relationship. The second child, there's provision connected to relationship, which is more loving. When our Heavenly Father asks for everything, He is not punishing. When our Heavenly Father asks for everything, He does not do so with a grimace on His face. When our Heavenly Father asks for everything, He is lovingly drawing us in to a personal, daily relationship with Him that is up close and personal. It is a call to cast off fear and to walk with Him in the joy of daily dependence. This is a story that we see here, and so embedded in this story is is a call to a humble response of faith that's given to us by our heavenly, loving Father. This text provides a model for us. It provides a model as through Elijah the Lord asked everything of the widow in verse 13. Elijah acknowledged her fear and and called her to move forward in obedience. Then in in verse 14, he explained how the Lord would provide and then promised His abiding presence through provision. Then in verse 15, even though she couldn't see into the future, even though she couldn't see how this would all play out, she replied. She responded in in humble and obedient faith. And then finally in verse 16, the Lord was true to His promise. He was true to His promise in the moment of need, and He provided. It's both a model and a call for us here today to respond. And so I want to offer briefly three quick ways in which we respond. We respond by walking Daily with the Lord, receiving from Him the nourishment that He provides in His Word and living under His good and gracious reign in our lives. To receive the good news of the gospel, to receive this joy of dependence upon Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that He offers, we respond in humble obedience by receiving Christ 
joy of new life in Him and, and living in the newness of life under His reign. That's first. But, but second, we respond like the widow. And notice that she responded by giving to the Lord as He commanded, trusting in His daily provision for her needs. We, too, respond to this call of the Lord by giving back to Him. We, we give of tithes and offerings. We give of our time. We give of our talents Trusting in His provision. And then thirdly, we respond like Elijah by going and even dwelling. Living relationally in the place where the Lord has planted us. By sharing the gospel even when uncomfortable. Even when it would feel more natural to be surrounded by our own like-minded kinsmen. Our humble response of faith means walking daily with the Lord wherever He leads us. In the beginning I asked a question, one that probably made you fairly nervous. It makes me nervous, I'll be real honest with you. And the question was, what if the Lord asked you to give everything? What would it take to be able to respond? Most of us want to know how it would all play out. Well, just show me where the journey is going to lead. Just show me what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next month. And if you'll show me, well, then I'll take the first step. We don't get that. But we do get enough for the day. But we also get something else. We get a picture of his heart. Several times in preaching through this passage, I've alluded to Jesus' description of the widows in Israel. It's from Luke chapter 4, specifically verses 25 through 30, after the people in Jesus' hometown reject him. And when they did, Jesus pointed out to them God's care for a Gentile widow in Zarephath. And that mention so filled the Jews with with rage that they, they took him to the edge of the cliff because they wanted to throw him off and kill him. But it wasn't his time. Yet the time would come when they would act on that rage. And when that time came, Jesus Christ went willingly. The God who ordained this whole story, who ordained the story of sending Elijah to the widow of Zarephath, also ordained Jesus speaking that truth to the Jews that day in Galilee. And he did so, knowing the whole time that the mention of Elijah's mission to Zarephath was part of what would send his son to the cross, but he did it. And he did it all because he loved a Gentile woman and her son that much. And he did it all because he loves you and I that much. What would it take for you to give everything to the Lord? What if I told you that Jesus gave everything for you? That's a picture of the heart of our Savior. 
who desires intimacy with us. That is a picture of the heart of our Heavenly Father who would give His Son so that we might have life eternal. Brothers and sisters, the Lord does ask us to give everything. And so let us do so by walking with Him in daily dependence, up close and personal, hand in hand. Father, You ask and You give and You are good and loving. And I pray that in this text that I and we would see and know Your heart. Take away our fear and give us the joy of dependence, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.